seated. I don't know, that song kind of just left me want another song, didn't it, you guys? It just kind of like, we stopped, and it's like, something's wrong. Anyways. I know most of you are a lot smarter than me, so you may not have this problem, but there are certainly times when I find the Bible confusing. You know, it's, for a lot, sometimes it's just because the sheer content that the Bible's talking about, it's just hard to understand. You know, there's times when it makes obscure references to things or to people or situations or et cetera that, that are just hard. Other times it present, presents truth in such a simple way, but trying to figure out what it means every single day in certain circumstances is, is hard. Like turn the other cheek. Well, what does that really mean? But there are other times when the Bible is, it's difficult to understand because it, it seems to contradict itself. And, and we know that the Scripture is the Word of God, and we got, know that God never changes. So God doesn't say something in one situation, and then later changes His mind and say something different, and the two of them contradict. So it puts us in a challenge of trying to figure that out. And one of those experiences where I see that relates to this issue that we've been looking at, which is the topic of faith. We've been in the series here for, this is our fourth week, we've been looking at it from the idea of, of trying to get faith right from the beginning. This idea of ground zero, that, that all that we try to build our spiritual house on, our, our life on, everything that we try to govern our relationship with God with is built upon faith. And if we don't get it right, everything else that we do with it is going to be a challenge, if not flat out just messed up. And so we've been looking at the issue of faith, and we've looked at it, the nature of faith and the importance of faith and various types of faith, some are which really aren't real faith or the kind of faith that God wants us to have in the first place. But then we come to this idea where Jesus says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you'll be able to say to this mountain, go and just throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. Now the mustard seed was believed in the days of Jesus to be the smallest seed from any of the plant world. So it was the tiniest of all seeds. So Jesus says, if you have a tiny little faith, and then on many occasions like we just read, you hear Jesus chastising the disciples because they have little faith. Now, how do you put those two things together? He says, if you've got tiny little faith, like a mustard seed, you've got all you need because you can go tell this mountain to go jump into the sea and it'll happen. But then he looks at Peter, who's wallowing along in the waves that are driven by the wind, as we'll look in just a minute in our text, and, (laughs) and he says, what? Why do you have such little faith? Or in a few chapters over, in chapter 17 of Matthew, after the transfiguration experience, he comes down the mountain. He encounters the the disciples, except for minus Peter, James, and John. The nine of them are being confronted by some religious leaders and a father who's absolutely desperate because his son has a, a demon, an evil spirit that's been throwing him into convulsions and threatening his life ever since he was a little kid. And he brought him... He brought his child to the disciples to to heal, to drive out the demon, and they couldn't do it. And there's this big argument going on through his mountaintop experience. He arrives at the at the foot of the hill and he encounters this and and he immediately throws out the demon. And then the disciples said, Well, why couldn't we do that? It's because your faith was too small. And then he says, If you had faith like a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, go and throw. How do you draw those things two things together? 
He says, all you need is the teeniest little bit of a faith, and you can do incredible things, but our faith is too small. How, how much smaller than wicked small can you get? You know, it, it, it gets kind of hard, doesn't it? To pull out, what, what does Jesus really mean? And I don't know, I, and like I said, I, I'm not the smartest guy here, and certainly far from being the smartest guy, you know, it, it, on the planet, in any way, shape, or form. And, and, but as I, th- as I think about what Jesus is trying to teach us, from Matthew chapter 17, verses 20 down through 23, that whole little section in there when he's talking about faith like a mustard seed and the size of their faith. And then I compare it to his challenges here, like in Peter from Matthew 14 that Cliff just read for us. When Jesus uses it, I think, so this is going to be a different kind of sermon, not so much like point by point, but just his concept is it's it's not the size of your faith. It's the, the size your faith stays over a period of time that matters. You see, the mustard seed, teeny little, teeny little seed, you plant it in the garden in good soil. And like everything else in the garden, you water it, you weed it, you care for it, etc. And lo and behold, if the teeniest little seed doesn't just grow to be the biggest bush in the whole garden. I mean, mustard plants or tree or bushes literally became lar- the, the, like the largest piece of vegetation, if you will, in the garden. So in this tiny little seed would grow something that was very robust and healthy and large and would dwarf everything else. He says, so if you have faith like a mustard seed, if you, even if it starts from the smallest place, if you let faith do what it will do, which is just keep growing and growing and growing and growing and growing, you'll be able to say to this mountain, just go and throw itself into the sea, and that will happen. But if you get to a place where this tiny little faith that you've planted starts to grow, and then you start restricting it, and it just stays small, that's an unhealthy kind of faith. Why is your faith so small? What's keeping it there? And he rebukes us for having a little faith, a unhealthy faith, a faith that isn't growing and maturing and nurturing and becoming the kind of faith it's supposed to be. You know, children, I, both of my boys are taller than me, you know. Now, there was a time when they were a lot smaller than me. I mean, just wee little runts, you know. When, when you use the word ankle biters, it really applied. That's about as high as they were, you know. They were small. And, you know, and, and we didn't really have to do anything to get them to grow. I mean, yeah, we had to take care of them. We had to feed them and all those kinds of things. But but it's not like we had to press certain buttons or make certain things happen for them to grow, right? I mean, Luke and Leela are kind of growing without your help, aren't they? You just kind of keep shoving stuff into them and up they go, you know? And, and they just grow on their own. That's what happens. You know, it's not like somewhere along the line when they're three and a half, you've got to take them in and you do an oil change and you've got to put a new heart in and change the stomach size. It just keeps growing. Because that's the way it's designed. Well, faith is designed just to kind of keep growing. And when it doesn't grow, when it stays small, it's unhealthy. In the course of my ministry, there was one time I had a family. Their child had to go in when the child was still very, very young because the head plate had hardened up too early. And the brain was growing like it's supposed to. And there wasn't enough room in the the skull anymore to contain the brain. And they had to break it open to allow it to keep growing. There's a, a sack around our hearts that's called the pericardium. It, and, it, and, and sometimes it gets really hard and it restricts the heart. And they have to go in and cut it and release it so the heart can function and grow the way it's supposed to. When we look at this issue of the size of our faith, or as uh, my sermon title is, the, the, the matters of magnitude, 
The reason why it's so important is because the size of our faith tells us if our faith is healthy or not. And if it's not healthy, it's dying. Now, let's go to our text that Cliff read for us. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 14 with me, and you'll find this text on page 827 in our black Bibles here from the pews, from the back of your chairs. We're going to pick up the text of verse 22. Let me just, a little bit of journey as, G, as God is speaking to us about Jesus' journey through Matthew. I mean, in the early parts of it, the first verses, we read about the death of John the Baptist. You know, he's in the territory of Herod, and, and, and John the Baptist loses his life because he speaks out about the sin that Herod is committing. And he loses his life. Jesus decides this is a good time to get out of the territory of Herod. This is a good time to head north. Let's get out of this area where this king is ready to slay those who are standing for God. And so they depart. And they try to go off to a deserted place. There's only one problem. When they arrive there, as we read in verse 13 and down, when they arrive there, the crowds already followed him. So when they get out of the boat, there's what's supposed to be a deserted place. There's no village or anything else around, just kind of open hills. There's thousands of people there already. And, G- and Jesus, he has compassion on them, and he heals their sick, and he's teaching them. And, and there comes a time when, when it gets late enough in the day, the disciples say, you know, you need to send these people away because they, they, they have a long journey to go before they can get to a place to find food, and et cetera, and we don't have enough food here. And Jesus says, no, 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 I, I think we should feed them. I, I'm equipping you guys to be the shepherds of the people of God, so you, you take care of these people. And, and it's also, we, we've got... Five loaves and two fishes and 4,000 people. I got to tell you, five happy meals isn't going to cover 4,000 people, you know. And so they're not even going to get a speck of salt off of a French fry to go across 4,000 people kind of idea. Jesus said, listen, just bring what you have to me. Just bring what you have to me. And Jesus blesses it and he breaks it. And they feed the crowd and there's food left over. He's expanding their faith, right? He's showing what God can do. Now, we, we don't know exactly why, but Jesus... Jesus sends the disciples on ahead in the boat to cross over to the other side to get away from the crowd, and he disperses the crowd by himself. I think it's interesting that one of the commentators I read this week said that the reason he thinks he did that is because the people were, were ready to gather around Jesus and lift him up as the next candidate to be king, if you will, you know, to make him king. And, and the, since the disciples kind of were already buying into that mindset, they weren't quite ready to embrace a, a suffering servant redeemer type of, of, of you know, God yet. He, Jesus says, you know what, I don't want them around this. So he sends them away and he disperses the crowd after having the argument uh, that's not who I'm going to be, etc. And he goes up on the mountain to pray. Now, evening hadn't even struck yet, right, as, we, as, we, as Cliff read it for us. Now, this, now it's 3 o'clock or later in the morning. The Romans divided the, the evening watch up into four stages, 6 to 9, 9 to 12, midnight to 3 a.m., 3 a.m. to 6. And the Scripture tells us that Jesus came walking to them in the fourth watch of the night. So it's after 3 o'clock. Now, these guys are more than a mile from shore, but I don't know if you've ever sailed. But if I was in a boat and I had been on the water for 8 to 9 hours, and I'd gone barely a mile or a little bit more, I'd be frustrated, you know? I mean, the, when I was a kid, the, the, the family had a, a, a house on a, on a small lake up in southern New Hampshire. And the thing I hated to do on that lake more than anything else was sail. Because you go out and there'd be a good wind and you get across the lake and then the wind would die. And it'd take you like three hours to get home. Because the only thing you could do is just kind of take the, the rudder and try to make it go forward. It was like it was faster to get out and swim. 
You know, and it was just awful. You know, imagine these guys are fighting the wind and the waves for hours and they're getting nowhere. So they're out in the middle and Jesus comes walking to them. And they're terrified because this is just not what they're used to. They think it's a ghost or whatever. It's a sea monster that's after them or whatever. And Jesus said, no, 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 don't be afraid. It's I, you know. And then Peter said, well, and, and you got to love Peter, right? Peter said, well, if it's you, tell me to, you know, give me instructions to come and walk with you. And Jesus said, well, come. And Peter gets out of the boat. And, and we don't really know how far he went or whatever, but he, you got to give him credit. He got out of the boat, you know. I mean, he got out of the boat. How many of you would get out of the boat? You know, say, well, where's my life jacket? <laughs> I'll take it with me. You know, he gets out of the boat, and, and we don't know how far he gets, but, but he's making progress in some for, for, shape or form, and then he starts looking around, and he sees the wind and the waves. And, and the Sea of Galilee was known for having these rush storms. The, the storms would kind of come, come across the land, and because the lake was surrounded by hills, it was almost like the, you know, the storms got forced down through these valleys, and they would pick up their intensity. You know, um, I went out the, earlier this spring and bought this little hose attachment that goes on the end of my hose, and it, it takes the 5 eighths hose, and it gets it down to about under a quarter of an inch, and it puts out a really good stream because it's restricting it so much. And, and so you imagine taking a storm and just pouring it down through these valleys, and when they hit the, hit the water, they would really create quite a storm. And, and it was a dangerous situation. Peter looks around, and he sees the waves, and he begins to sink. And he cries out to Jesus, Save me! I'm going to drown! I'm sure Peter had been out in the water before, swimming in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. He was a fisherman. But he knew in this circumstance that these were not the kind of waves that you survived in. And Jesus grabs him by the hand and walks him back to the boat. And he says, why is your faith so small? Why'd you doubt? And, and I think in that experience, I see a couple of things that really speak to me and hopefully to you about our reaction or the ways in which we take what should be a healthy faith when planted in the soil, this gift of God of faith that we plant, even though it's the tiniest seed at the beginning, it should just naturally grow and become this healthy, vibrant plant, the largest in the garden, the ways that we can react to circumstances and make our faith sick so it stays small and impotent. There's a couple things that stand out to me. There's two words that are used in this text. One is the word fear. The scripture says that Peter looked at the waves and the wind and he was afraid. The disciples were afraid. And then Jesus says to Peter, says, why did you doubt? You know, why is your faith so small? Why did you doubt? And, and I think in these words, fear and doubt, we can see a couple of categories of the way that we react in many ways to all experiences of life that can actually be things that are detrimental to the natural health and vibrancy and growth of our faith Things that we do that keeps our faith unnaturally small in a way that God didn't intend. And, and, and the first of those is this word fear. And, and I don't want to make too much of a distinction because both of these words have the idea of why did you hesitate? Why were you uncertain? Well, you know, why were you less than confident? But the word fear really has to do with the focus on the consequences. You know, Peter's looking at it, he's looking at the waves, he's looking at the wind, and he, he's thinking to himself, you know what, I could drown. And there are things in our reaction to our experiences of life, there are things that challenge and destroy or limit or make our faith unhealthy, keep it unnaturally small, because we're just afraid of the consequences. And it doesn't have to be major things. Let me just grab some of the low-lying fruit, if you will. 
You know, we talk about sharing our faith. One of the reasons why we don't do that is because we're afraid of what might happen. We might become, at school, the, we're the kid they're going to make, make fun of. And so, I ain't going to do that because of the consequences. Or we think about a challenge of giving. I don't know how many times in my ministry I've heard people say, you know, I really ought to give more. You know, I, I, I'm just, it, but we're, we're afraid of the consequences. I'm going to land up poor. And the list just kind of, you know, the, the whole issues of peer pressure or the best business practices, you know. Am I really going to be a Christian businessman? And sometimes we're afraid of the consequences, so we, we think we're going to end up broke or out of business or unemployed. And we're afraid of the consequences. Those are just the low-lying low things. Think about translating it into all the most intimate relationships and experiences and internal pieces. Now, so there's that aspect where fear focuses on the consequences. Now, I think doubt focuses more on the resources. And, and, and I think Peter, in this example, you can look at him and say, okay, can God really do this? Is God going to do this? And can God do this in me? <laughs> you understand? You get the idea? Sometimes we, we encounter the Word of God, we understand it, but then we think, is God going to do this now? And can, and, and can God, does God want to do that? And can God do that in me? You know, there's sometimes we, 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 we read about, you know, living godly lives and Christ-like lives and, and all these kinds of pieces, and then, but we really wrestle with the idea of, if I really buy into all that stuff, and I commit myself to it and I live in it, am I really going to be happy? And some of us doubt that we're really going to have peace. We're really going to have joy. We're really going to have contentment. We're really going to have a life that's satisfying and fulfilled. We, we, we wrestle with all that. We have doubt about whether or not God can do that in us. We, we wonder if God is up to the challenge or if we're really the kind of people that God can do that kind of stuff in. And so we doubt. We have this hesitancy, this uncertainty. And the impact is that we take this tiny seed of faith, which is supposed to just naturally bloom into something that's totally life-transforming, and we kind of keep pushing it back into the box as it gets restricted. And we make our faith unhealthy because we fear and we doubt. It's interesting that in Matthew 14, as well in Matthew 17, that the solution that Jesus gives to both of these things, and here in Matthew 14, it says, you know, it's a matter of prayer and fasting. You know, or when the disciples ask him in Matthew 17, well, why couldn't we throw this demon out of this small boy? He said, because this type only comes out by prayer. Now, I, I, what, I, what I want you to see is that the role of prayer and fasting, prayer builds our relationship with God, right? I mean, it, it allows us to stay in closer contact with God. It, and, 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 and with that, you know, we, we get our eyes off of the surroundings. We're not Peter walking on the water looking at the waves and the wind, but we're Peter walking on the water and we're looking at Jesus. And we keep making progress. And the mustard seed keeps growing into this marvelous tree. Fasting is the whole idea of, of bringing the physical world into submission to the spiritual world. What a great way to get our eyes off of the things that cause us fear and the things that make us doubt and get our concentration back on God. Prayer and fasting are designed to take the restrictions off to allow the faith to grow and to mushroom. So does the size of your faith matter? And I'd say to you, I'll take all the tension out of my sermon. Absolutely, it matters. And the reason why is because you're, the size of your faith, whether your faith is bigger today than it was last week, tells you whether or not your faith is sick or healthy. Because faith, left unrestricted, will grow. 
And when our faith is small, it's unhealthy because we've restricted it. So I have a question. You know, it's almost like, <laughs> it's almost like we, we put our faith in such a small little bucket that the roots can't grow. You know, and, and, and you know, I, this past week I, I, I dug up a tree that we had planted at the corner of our house about four or five years ago. It was this wonderful kind of red maple tree when I brought it home. And it grew, it but doubled in size the first couple of years. And it looked just great at the end of the house. Last year, one side of it didn't produce any leaves. So I cut that side off. This year is just one beautiful bare trees, 15, 18 feet high. And right down the bottom, just a couple small little shoots, you know. And, and I just, you know, I just, I couldn't take it anymore. So, you know what, I'm going to transplant this thing to another part of the yard. I dig it, and I couldn't get it out of the ground. So at the end, I just kind of yanked it out. It's just these bare roots, you know. I'm thinking, well, I can still transplant it, you know. And there's just one little thing coming and sticking out the side, you know, and it, and, and my neighbor's over there watching me, you know, my retired neighbor, he's over there watching me. And I said, well, I'm going to try to transplant it out in the backyard. You know, look funny out here, but it'd be great. But after about five minutes, it says, you ain't replanting, you're not replanting that. That thing's dead already because the leaves are just one, <laughs> you know, the little bit that was left. You know, when, when, when we restrict, when we rip the roots of our faith up out of the soil where God keeps nourishing it because we're afraid or we doubt. See, our, the size of our faith really does matter. Because it tells us whether or not our faith is healthy. I can remember the, the big thing about taking the boys to the doctor when they were little was that they would measure them and figure out how much they weighed. You remember those days? And you come home and say, oh, my kid's on the 105th percentile, you know, because he's fat, you know, but he's on the 105th percentile, you know, whatever. You know, you know it, it was a symbol of health. The size of your faith matters. So the question for me, and I'm hoping you'll ask yourself the same question, is what does the size of your faith tell you about the health of your faith today. Let's pray for just a minute. God, I'm struck by the fact that in the experience of Peter, there were 11 disciples still in the boat, and Peter was the only one who climbed out. So he wasn't the only one with little faith. It's a common disease, and that's convicting to me and concerning. God, as we pray today, we don't want to have sick faith. I don't think anybody got up out of bed this morning and came here because they want to have a weak, mediocre faith. We came here because we want it to be vibrant, growing, dynamic, healthy, a mechanism by which you do the great things in us and through us that you've always promised. God, but seeing the size of our faith is a hard thing for us because it's easy to rationalize. Those waves are big. The wind is strong. That demon that's throwing the kid on the ground is ferocious. God, show us the health of our faith by its size. And God, by what you do in these moments, may we get past the place where you would look us in the eyes and say, why do you have such small faith? God, let us get to a place where you look at us and say, that's it. That's the kind of faith, the kind of faith that moves mountains in us and in our world. Thank you, God, that you are eager to do anything that we ask you to do to make our faith healthy. So we ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to come to the communion table in just a minute. I'm struck that in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul challenges the church to examine themselves before they come to the, to the table. I, I, I want to do this examination just a little different way this morning. That is, I want to take just a moment and ask you, so wh- what did you hear from God this morning? I'm not looking for this to be a rhetorical question, but what did you hear this morning? What did God say to you that you are now responsible and accountable for as you go forward? What did you hear God say? Jenny. And the weeding is shutting out some of the things 
you.